Hey, good morning. My name is Lance, and I am the lead pastor of my wife, Lisa, and I've, we've got three children. Josh, who you see in Minnesota. Um, Alyssa, who just had her wisdom teeth out. So if you see her looking like she's on her phone, those are little ice packs um, on her wisdom teeth. And then our son, Caden, who's over here on the sound booth. We just counted a privilege um, to pastor along with the incredible team that God has given us here at Metro Believers Church. This is an exciting season. So I just put my stamp on what Dave said about make sure you're here next week. We want to share some exciting things, some things that you can pray about, jump in um, and support. It's going to be good. We'll try to wrap up around 1115. more hands make the duty lighter so if we can get everything put away and keep the chairs out we can just have our family meeting here and be on our way by a little bit after noon so it's going to be good um did everybody receive we're in our mission 555 series does everyone raise your hand if you haven't and um, we'll get those around to you can someone maybe come up and help assist? We actually got a couple handouts this morning um, that they're going to be passing around. So I want to talk about the NBC Mission 555 Summer Series. We launched it two Sundays ago. Um, when we are, this is the first message in the series outside of the launch message. And as you receive the note card, this is going to be a resource to help you kind of stay on track with what we're doing. On here, we are just making a, um, we want to inspire and encourage you to be intentional in sharing your faith with others through the summer months. And so we want to do that through network evangelism. On the back of the card right here, there's five networks, if you could look at those with me. We're asking you, the 555 stands for five people from one of these five networks, family, work, co-workers, people that you work with, marketplace. This might be someone that you see on a regular basis at a coffee shop and you're just drawn to them and you say, hey man, come in every day at the same time and I notice you get coffee too. And um, my name is so-and-so, what's your name? And so it could be like that, people in the marketplace that you meet, people that you see in the gym, um, so on and so forth there. Neighborhood, these are your neighbors, people that live in your neighborhood. And the last one is recreational or relational. There's a lot of kids right now that are part of like summer leagues and um, playground programs, different things that you meet as you drop off your kids and you see other people. So 555 stands for five people from those five networks, and then we're going to do five things, five tasks. First task, we're going to pray for them, and that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning, is praying for those people that you write down on this card. We're going to serve them. I said last Tuesday, um, our July 4th week service, that there are people, there are miracles waiting to happen all around us. What is a miracle? It's when a person with a need meets the person with the solution, a miracle happens. And so we want to discover needs. As we pray and get to know them, we want to find out their needs and we want to serve them. And that may also look like, number three, 
giving gospel-centered literature to them. Say someone says, man, I have a, a strong-willed son, uh, and I'm just struggling. And, and maybe you read a, a book about that, or there was a resource that helped you. You can give them some literature to help them in that. Number four, we want to invite them. Invite them to church. Invite them to an event that we're hosting. Invite them over to your home to have dinner with you or sit on your deck with you. And number five, share your gospel story with them. Share what God has done in your life and how he's made himself real to you. So five people from these five different networks, write their names down. We're going to do five tasks. We're going to pray. We're going to serve. We're going to give. And then we're going to share our story with them. So today's first task, and we're going to spend um, the summer months going through these tasks. We're going to spend two weeks on each task. And this first one is pray for them, praying for the lost. I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. That's going to be our text this morning. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. We talk about praying for them, praying for the lost, and when you think of the word lost, I don't know about you, but what comes to mind for me is like, I think of lost in a directional sense. Like over the 4th of July weekend, um, we enjoyed camping with the Turner family. We were over at Apple Lake Campground, about an hour from where we live, just on the other side of the Illinois border in the northwest section of Illinois. It was out in the middle of nowhere. It was beautiful, lots of hills and valleys. And one on Sunday, we decided, wow, Galena's only 20 miles away. I bet you they're going to have a lot of Fourth of July festivities, so let's head over there. The only problem was, being in rural northwest Illinois, Verizon doesn't get a signal. And so we were forced to rely upon the navigation system in our 2015 um, Honda minivan. The only problem with that is that all their points of interest and everything are related to Zagat. And I'm like, what's Zagat? <laughs> so it's quite antiquated. Um, there's, it's not like you can just push in something or speak to it. You do things with the dial, and I've never really tried to learn how to use the navigation system and it's pretty hard to learn it right when you need it you know what I'm talking about when you're like out in the middle of nowhere and you don't know where you're going and what's even more embarrassing is when you tell the family that's following you follow me I'll get you there I can't tell you how many times we had we went down the wrong road had to make a u-turn on those you know those narrow country roads and um, drive back the other way I was I was literally um, just feeling so sorry for Phil and Shallon and, and the kids behind us like, oh man, I can't believe we had to do that again, another U-turn. It was so embarrassing. But the good news is we got to our destination. So when you think about lost in a directional sense, it's not that bad, right? It's not that harmful, just harmful to your pride. And so I was struggling a little bit with um, my pride in being the director, the guider. But when it comes to lostness in the Bible, it's much more than harming your pride. It's much more desperate, right? It's much more urgent because lostness in the Bible has eternal implications. 
The Apostle Paul describes being lost as being dead. Remember that from our Ephesians series? Ephesians 2, he says, you were lost in your trespasses in sin. Ephesians 2, 12 um, says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. This is what it means to be lost. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you're lost. You're living apart from Christ. You are dead. You are excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Do you realize that there are people today that are living apart from Christ without God, and the Bible says without hope? They are dead. They're physically alive, but they are spiritually dead. So to be lost means to live apart from Christ without God and without hope. In my heart this morning is that it would grieve us the amount of people that we know, those people that you are going to write down on your Mission 5-5 card, those neighbors that you have, those people in your family, your family members. You know, my grandma Yola, we own Yola's Cafe. It's named after my grandmother. And my grandmother... Um, was a cook. She used her gift of hospitality to serve. And it would break my heart because she would say, I'm like, Grandma, how come you open your home and you do all this for us? Like, you don't sit. You're just walking around taking orders and making burgers and um, milkshakes and just trying to keep everyone happy. She would take her allowance, she said, from, uh, from my grandpa. My grandpa would give her a little bit of money and she would take that and, and she see all my family spend eternity with my Savior. I want to see them saved. And the one person that um, broke her heart the most was my, my uncle, who drove truck, and he would be sober all week, and then he would come home and he would binge drink all weekend. And to keep him from going to the bars or getting too drunk, she made a way to serve him, to bring him over, so that she would keep him away from the bottle. That was, her, that was her desire because my uncle was dead. He was lost. He was living apart from Christ. He was without God and without hope. And so she, she prayed for him and she served him and she served him um, with her, her gift and her actions. It says here in Romans 10 in our text, it says, Brothers, brothers. I don't want you just to read this text with a, you know, just a casual in a casual way, but, just to, but also just to sense the urgency, the earnestness of, of Paul here in this text. He says, brothers, he's talking about his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, his kinsmen, his, his people, the people that he was a part of the same ethnic background and race. He says, my heart's desire, my heart's desire. See, the heart is the center of emotions. The Bible says that the heart is the seat of the soul. It's, um, you know, it says in the Bible that what's in your, as, as it's, in, you know, it, it gets, you speak what's in your heart. Um, so the heart is the center of emotions. His heart, his heart's desire, his prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So he's 
looking at them and seeing their lostness, their, their deadness. And he's saying um, that they're, they're seeing that they're without hope. And he says that my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. See, Paul was deeply grieved because he knew that the people, his people, were far from God. They were without hope. They were not saved. They were not righteous. They were headed to hell and not heaven. They were headed to death and not life. And this knowledge caused him to earnestly pray for them from a deep, deep place within his soul. And so from our text this morning, we can follow Paul's example of praying with this same earnestness for the lost. We pray about a lot of different things, don't we? We pray about our finances. Lord, bless our finances. We pray for our work. Lord, give us that promotion. Um, Lord, help me to do a good job. We pray um, for relationships. Lord, let me know um, that so-and-so likes me. We pray for our retirement fund. Lord, um, bless my retirement fund. Bring stability to the stock market. We pray for our family. Lord, bless our kids. Help them to find good mates. Or if they're married, Lord, bless their families and their children. But do we pray for, with the same earnestness for the lost? Paul said, brothers, brothers, my, my heart's desire from deep within cries out in earnestness. I, I pray for you that you might be saved. This desire begins in God's heart. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Prayer for the lost begins in the heart, and it first begins in God's heart. John 3.16, the placard at the, the ball games, that people hold up in the end zone. John 3.16, it's the first verse that you memorize and you learn, whether you know Christ or not. For God so loved the world. And it's easy to look at that and say, well, he just loves the world, like, all together. But no, he loves all the individuals in it. You are created in the image of God. You are created in the image of your creator. For God so loved the world, and I want you to, to personalize that. For God so loved Lance. For God so loved Aggie. For God so loved Terry. For God so loved Ken. That he gave, he gave his only begotten son. Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul wrote, He loved me and he gave himself for me. Again, God doesn't just love the world as a whole. He loves us personally. When Jesus came, he said that his whole life's purpose, his mission on earth was to seek and to save the lost. Have you seen, how many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo? If you haven't seen it, I asked my kids last night, remember Finding Nemo? And they're like, yep. And I'm like, well, what's the pelican's name? And they're like, I don't know. So um, if you have seen it, but you don't remember it well, just follow along. Nemo is a clownfish who gets lost, right? And his father sets out to find him. Eventually, Nemo is captured, and he's put into this fish tank within a dentist's office. And while Nemo is feeling lost and alone in the tank, he begins to think that his father has forgotten about him and that he'll never see his father again. 
But one day, a pelican named Nigel appears on the window frame of the dentist's office and says to Nemo, Nemo, your father's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. My father, Nemo says. Oh yeah, he's been battling sharks and jellyfish, Nigel recounts. It's my dad. He took on a shark, exclaims Nemo. Nigel says, I heard he not only took on one, but he took on three sharks. Nemo is dumbfounded. He repeats, three? And then Nigel explains, you see, kid, after you were taken, your dad began swimming like a maniac. He took on three sharks. He, he battled an entire jellyfish forest. Now he's riding on the back of a bunch of sea turtles on the East Australian current. And the word is, he's heading this way, right here, to Sydney. What a great daddy, Nemo says. And there's a reason why movies like this and scenes like this resonate so much with us because embedded within them is the heart of God. The Father heart of God. We sing them the songs this morning. We don't sync up and say, I'm preaching on this, so can you sing this? The Father heart of God is speaking to us this morning that he is fiercely, he is relentlessly pursuing I love the lyrics of Corey Asbury's Reckless Love song. It's a perfect visual of God's love and pursuit after his children. It says there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up. You're coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. Coming after me. I encourage you, if you want to know just how much God thinks about you and his pursuit after you, read Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's nowhere that you can escape the love of God. The goodness of God is relentlessly chasing after you. So the salvation of the lost begins in the heart of God. And our purpose as believers, according to Romans 8.29, is to become like Christ, to become like him. And that includes having his compassion for the lost. So the compassion, the love of God, it starts in God's heart, right? For the lost. I want you to hear this statement. The closer we get to God, the more we will be like him. And the more our love for the lost will grow. Let me repeat that again. The closer we get to God, the more we will be like him, and the more our love for the lost will grow. So this is a good measure of our Christ-likeness, isn't it? The measure of our passion for the lost. You could say, well, I love God. I go to church. I do certain spiritual disciplines like Bible, reading, and prayer. But do you love the, the lost? Do you earnestly pray for the lost? Do you build friendships with the lost? Because if you really get close to God, you cannot help but catch his heart for the lost.
my son, because we own a cafe, has become a, a coffee snob, a coffee geek. You can't spend much time with him before you pick up his love for coffee. Can I venture to say that we can't spend much time with our Savior without picking up his love for the lost? It's a measure of our Christ-likeness, of whether we're becoming like him. Second, it begins with our heart. Paul said, my heart's desire. We said, well, that's, that's easy. Paul was an apostle. That was part of his job. He, no, this was his heart's desire. This wasn't a professional desire. It wasn't a desire born out of Christian duty, like, I have to do this. I have to pretend. I have to pretend that I'm fired up, you know, for the lost. No, this was something that was born deep within his heart. It was a genuine desire from his heart that voiced itself in prayer. It's something that he thought about. It welled up within him. It, it was something that started on the inside that came out that voiced itself in prayer. See, Jesus said in scriptures, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Can I change that to say where your prayers are? There will be your heart also. Because you pray about what you treasure, right? As I was praying and preparing for the message, I was thinking what we really need more than anything else is not another course on how to share our faith, not another class on how to talk to somebody about the Lord, but we need just to get alone with God and have a revival in our hearts. Say, God, change my heart to become more like yours. A heart for the lost will manifest itself in prayer. And what is that prayer for? It's for salvation. Paul said, my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That they may be saved. There was a, a story that I read this last week of a group of guys who were, who were digging this large trench. I don't know if they were putting pipe in or something like that. And they had gotten down really deep. And they were working frantically to to complete the job, and, and something happened, and, and the walls of that trench gave way and, be, and buried all those guys. And rescue workers frantically were trying to save them, much like the Surfside condo in, in South Florida, were trying to rescue them. And there was this guy that was just stunned. He'd, he stood and watched as the onlookers um, were, and the rescue workers were, were frantically trying to save people and, and capture them alive. And, get them out. And a woman came up and tapped him on the shoulder and said, Sir, your, your brother's down there. Your brother's down there. He went from being an onlooker to grabbing a shovel and joining the rescue workers as he searched for his brother. And when I read that, I thought, that's what Paul's doing here. He's, this isn't just about that person over there that I don't know, but this was his brothers. He said, brothers, my heart's desire is to pray to God for them that they might be saved because Paul knew what it was like to be lost. He had a divine encounter with God um, on the Damascus Road. He was, he was blinded. He said, God, why, why do you persecute me? And God led him to 
to um, Ananias and, and God took the blinders off of his eyes and, and he became one of the, one of the um, top apostles and writer of most of the New Testament. But in 1 Timothy, he said, I was the chief of sinners. So could you picture it here? Here's an empathetic man. He used as his fellow brothers and sisters were, but he had a divine encounter with God, and God removed the blinders from his eyes, and he looks at his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters who are lost like them and realizes that what, they were, what they're doing will never get them into the kingdom of God. They think, like Paul did previously, that they can, they can be good and do good works and follow the law, and all their righteous deeds will get them um, into, into heaven. But the Bible says our righteousness apart from Christ is nothing but filthy rags. See, religion equals do, but a relationship with Christ equals done. So Paul said, I'm going to pray for their salvation. I could, I could pray for them for their political freedom because they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. He says, I, I could pray for them for financial blessing because they were struggling financially in that day. He said, I could pray for their physical healing because there was a lot of sickness in Israel. But he said, it doesn't matter if you have political freedom, if you have financial blessing and physical um, blessing, if you are lost, if you're dead. So he prayed for their salvation. And we need to pick up the same sense of priority from Paul. So this brings us to ask ourselves a couple of questions. How much time do you spend praying for the lost? He said, well, I don't know anybody's names to write down. I can't think of anybody to write down that are lost in these five categories. Well, maybe you're living in a bubble and you need to become more intentional about meeting people who are lost. I know people that have gotten gym memberships just so that they can meet people. I know people that will frequent the same restaurant or the same coffee shop so that they can get to know and build relationships with the baristas or the wait staff. There's things that we can do, friends. What about prayer walk in your neighborhood? We started doing this. Just prayer walk in our neighborhood. Keep them with the 555 theme. Praying for the five houses on the left of us, the five houses on the right of us, and the five houses across the street from us. And just being intentional. It's good for our health. It's good for our dogs. They enjoy it. Taking them for a walk. As you pray for them, how can you pray for the lost? You can pray these things that I handed out and gave you this morning. As you're praying and you're prayer walking in your neighborhood, you're becoming a lighthouse. People will be drawn to you. You'll be able to strike up conversations. A woman came by this past week and saw our little new puppy and said, oh, so cute, what's, you know, what's his name? And, it, and I noticed that she drove down three houses and pulled into the garage. I can strike up another conversation and get to know her even better. As you learn their names, you can write it down. If you have your cell phone on, you go into your little notes app and say, I just met so-and-so, and she told me this, and I noticed that she called her kid Brian or um, her daughter Jessica, and you, and you write those things down, and, and pretty soon you're out and about, and you're saying, how you doing, so-and-so, and, -so, and 
how's Brian and Jessica? You know, or, or maybe when, maybe you notice one of your neighbors has like a chronic illness like mine who lived behind us when we first moved in. We found out that he had pancreatic And so we sought to serve them. We saw his wife out on the back patio with him every day um, in the morning, sitting with him and tending to his needs. And we watched him wither away and we watched the cars come eventually and take him as he had passed away. The Bible says, take care of widows. Well, we have a widow that lives right behind us. We can mow her lawn. We can um, watch, ask her if there's any needs. We can take care of um, anything that she has needs around the home. You see where I'm talking about this morning? Just getting to know and serve and build relationships. It's not about preaching at them. Just be friendly. Just be friendly. Discover the need. Serve them. See, our prayers need to be accompanied by our actions. We say, well, that's easy. I can pray for them. No, Paul, the person who wrote this, he was a church planner. He spread the gospel all over the Mediterranean area. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for you is that you may be saved. Let's stand together this morning. Why don't you grab this real quick? It says how to pray for the lost. Ten ways. Lord, number one, pour out your spirit upon fill in the blank. Number two, Lord, convict so-and-so of his or her sin and separation from you. Number three, Lord, reveal to fill in the blank what Christ has done for him or her. Number four, Lord, rescue them from darkness and set them free. Number five, Lord, use drastic means if necessary to cause fill in the blank to repent. Number six, we pray that all men and those in authority will be saved. Number seven, Lord, draw so-and-so to yourself. You can't do it. It's the Spirit of God. But it comes through prayer. That's our part. Number eight, send bold Christians to tell so-and-so about Christ. Number nine, Lord, open up so-and-so's eyes and remove the veil of blindness. And number ten, do not allow Satan to steal the seed or to blind their eyes. If I could have the worship team come. I want to close by just saying, first of all, it would be a shame if we talked about praying for the lost and we didn't take time this morning to pray for them. So we're going to do that in a moment. I want to pray for the rest of you who maybe say, I want a heart like Paul's, but I'm not there yet. I want to be earnest in my prayer for the lost people. We want to pray for you this morning. And lastly, maybe you're, you're here this morning, and as you've been listening to me preach, you say, well, what if, what if I'm lost? You can be found today. You say, what if I'm spiritually dead? You can be made alive today. Remember what I said at the beginning? All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ took your, the weight of your sin 
upon the cross. His arms are spread out and nailed to those cross beams for you. That blood and water that flowed that the Bible talks about was for you. And it frees you. It brings freedom. It breaks the chain. Maybe say, man, I just wish the chain, this chain would be broken in my life. This chain of abuse, this chain of addiction, this, this whatever it is, depression, anxiety, financial burden. My Jesus can break the chain. So let's bow our heads right now. Just sense the presence of God. mission is to seek and to save the lost. He's drawn to lost people. He spent time with tax collectors. He spent time with prostitutes. He's drawn to broken things. And if you would say, Pastor Lance, my heart is broken this morning. not spiritually alive. I feel hopeless. I've been living my life apart from Christ. Then you've come to the right place. Because your heavenly father, your creator, the one who created you that breathed life into your, your body, the one who knows you, the one who says, if a sparrow falls to the ground and I take note of that, how much more than I take note of you? The one who says that his thoughts towards you outnumber the particles of sand and all the seashells. The one who says, I know every, um, every number of here on the top of your head. The one who says that you can make your, your bed in hell and still his love will pursue you there. There's no way that you can outrun God. He's relentless in his pursuit of you. And it's the goodness of God who brought you here this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that none should perish What's perish mean? It means to spend an eternity separated from Christ. Damn, that's not his will for your life. That's why he gave. Will you receive that gift this morning? If you say, Pastor Lance, I want to receive that gift for the first time. I want you to raise your hand, hand right now. Everybody else, their eyes, this is just between you and God. Raise your hand. Say, I want to receive the gift of salvation this morning. Just raise it up real quick, and then you can put it down. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm going to pray the prayer to receive Christ, and I want you to pray it in your way with me. It doesn't have to be out loud. 
to say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for doing that for me. I receive your gift of salvation. I desire to make you the leader of my life. I want to spend eternity with you. Repair the broken things in my life, Lord. Take away the blinders so I can see the goodness of God that is chasing after me. of God just to close out our message this morning and then I'm going to come back up and um, I'm going to stand and maybe Dave too with a mic up front and if you want to come up and just pray pray for the lost in our city pray for the lost in your neighborhood however the Lord would direct you and we can just agree together